you know that Denmark is the happiest country in the world? They are among the top 5 safest countries in the world, number 4 actually. For context, US is ranked 129th. <laughs> I mean, it's quite an extraordinary country. Even their rare cases of murder are extraordinary. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Neil, and hello to all our favorite Gibby friends. Hey, Sandra. Hello, everybody. Today, we have a murder case for you. This is one of the weirdest, uh, darkest, I mean, unusual killings we've ever come across. True. And we don't usually talk about murder cases. Like, we do talk about crime, but in a more general sense, we pick subjects that are layered and, you know, complex and with societal implications, and then we pick them apart. I think the closest we've done to this is the premium episode about modern slavery in a Texas flight school, or the vacation horror story about the narcos satanicos and the spring break students. But this submarine murder and, you know, the dismemberment of journalist Kim Wall is on a whole nother level. Yeah, we've been planning on uh, doing this episode for a while, so here we go. On August 10th, 2017, Wired journalist Kim Wall boarded the midget submarine UC-3 Nautilus in Koge Bay, Denmark. She was there to interview the man who built this mini-submarine, Peter Madsen, and that was the last time she was seen alive. I would be offended to be called a midget submarine if I was a small submarine. <laughs> I mean, how small was the Nautilus, actually? Yeah, it's an odd term, but a midget submarine is any submarine under 150 tons. So, yet something that's typically operated by one person or two at the most, um, but with little or no onboard living accommodation. So let's call the UC-3 Nautilus a mini-submarine. These mini-subs normally work in tandem with a mothership from which they are launched and recovered by crew and support staff on the parent submarine. Okay, so Kim Wall was reported missing after mini-submarine Nautilus failed to return to the Reschelögen harbor that evening. And the submarine was found sunken the following morning, and Madsen was arrested after being rescued from the water. Between the 21st of August and the 29th of November, parts of Wall's dismembered body were found in different locations around the area. Madsen was convicted and sentenced to life in prison, on the 25th of April 2018 by the Copenhagen City Court. And this was one of the most publicized murder cases worldwide at the time, for good reason. Yes, and Peter Madsen changed his story several times since the moment he was found the day after Kim Wall boarded his submarine. Also, just to clarify, they were the only people on that sub. I mean, the details are pretty grisly, to be honest. This is pretty dark, and it's just a senseless murder, too. I know, and I almost don't even want to get into the details of the case. And to be honest, I was thinking to myself earlier when you told our listeners that we've been planning on doing this subject for a while, that I think both of us subconsciously put this episode off for a month just because it's so dark that it's really hard to talk about. And it's important, though, in order to make sense of all of this, like you said, to talk about Peter Madsen a bit. But first, because I think everyone always starts with the murderer, let's talk about Kim Wall. First, and then we'll discuss Peter Madsen and how come he owned the submarine, I mean, his life story and all of that. And then we'll get to the underwater murder, you know, the details and the aftermath. Okay. So, Kim Isabel Frederica Wall was a 30-year-old Swedish journalist. She grew up in the southern part of the country and studied at Paris's Sorbonne University 
the London School of Economics, and Columbia University in New York, from where she graduated with a master's degree in journalism in 2013. She had published stories for the New York Times and The Guardian, reporting on topics such as tourism in post-earthquake Haiti and nuclear testing in the Marshall Islands. We'll link one of her articles in the episode notes. Uh, it's entitled The Poison in the Tomb, One Family's Journey to Their Contaminated Home. At the time of her murder, she was writing an article for Wired. In fact, that's why she went to meet Madsen and went with him on the Nautilus trip. Kim traveled constantly for work, and she loved writing about unusual things or people in out-of-the-way places. Like, for example, self-taught engineer of sorts, who is kind of an icon in his field. The field of homemade submarines and rockets. That's why she requested this interview with Peter Madsen. Kim and her boyfriend, Ole Stobe, he was a graphic designer, by the way, were actually in the process of moving to Beijing. They were supposed to land there on August 16. So on the day that Kim boarded the Nautilus on August 10, the pair were supposed to have a going away party, but Kim really wanted to write this piece about Madsen, so she skipped the party that evening. And it's so infuriating. I mean, the whole thing, she was so beautiful and smart and had her whole life ahead of her. But there is no way on earth she could have known this guy is a monster. So she did board the Nautilus at 7 p.m. local time. Uh, and the trip slash interview were supposed to last about two hours. But nobody ever saw her again. I mean, not in one piece and not alive. So Ole, her boyfriend, reported her missing that very night after she stopped communicating. These are the last two text messages she sent to her boyfriend that evening, presumably while the submarine was on its way out of the port. I'm still alive, by the way, but going down now. I love you. And a minute later, she added, he brought coffee and cookies, though. I don't know. It's horrifying to think about what happened next. And the coffee and cookies, I honestly think Madsen brought those for himself as a treat to have his sick murder plan played out perfectly and have a snack while at it too because the whole thing probably lasted a few hours i mean ugh, this i don't know it's it's very upsetting yes i mean you know imagine being her boyfriend stuck with those text messages in your phone forever yes those messages are really chilling and premonitory in a way and as we said before in most murder cases the focus is exclusively on the murderer but uh there's an hbo tv series entitled the investigation also broadcast in the uk on the bbc from tobias lindholm the screenwriter who made borgen and he did an excellent job reframing the story looking not at the murderer or the murder but more at the investigation behind solving this crime and Lindholm worked closely with the actual investigators who were on the case, especially with Detective Jens Möller, who poured his heart and soul into getting all the evidence needed to put Madsen in jail. And Lindholm closely consulted with Kim Wall's parents, too. So it's basically a documentary, but presented as a TV series. In fact, her parents' dog, Esau, played himself in this series. I didn't know that was the real dog in the movie. Yes, that is him. He looks a little bit like your bear, also a little chunky, like a little sweet chunk. Well, <laughs> so the bear has uh, gotten a little more chunky today. We had some blackened fish before we recorded. Oh, but that's healthy. I think they can have fish. That's not fattening. It's good. So what do you know about this degenerate piece of shit, Peter Madsen? So Peter Madsen is, I guess especially now too, a very well-known figure in Denmark. He's kind of this nerdy guy who's into submarines, rockets, engineering, welding. 
kind of eccentric, but a friendly personality, uh, as far as anybody knew before this murder anyway. He liked to build things, and the media loved him. It's important to mention, though, that he had no engineering degree uh, or really any formal education. He'd taken some welding and engineering classes, but despite the fact that he's described by many articles as an engineer, he was, at best, a self-taught engineering enthusiast of sorts. Yes, and look, he was by no means stupid. He did build three functional submarines, which is more than either of us <laughs> could yeah. ever build. And he and his unpaid team were working on a rocket now. They were planning a launch, and the Nautilus was supposed to help uh, launch that rocket. And yes, I said unpaid team. Peter Madsen was a very charismatic guy, so he managed to fund his projects from donations from people, organizations, and enterprises that believed in his work. And he surrounded himself with young people with actual engineering degrees and expertise to help him bring his ideas to life. And none of these people on his team were there for money. They were there for the excitement and because they really liked Madsen, well, initially. But over time, as the rocket launch was approaching, I mean, this was supposed to happen about a month after the murder, right? A bunch of these people left and only the very dedicated loyal ones remained. And their HQ was this abandoned shipyard in the Refschloen Bay. I hope I said that right. I don't know. Danish is a very complicated <laughs> language. <laughs> Years before, when he was younger, Madsen joined the Dansk Amateur Rocket Club. Dark, in other words. But the majority of the members gradually became disillusioned with him. They even joked that saying his name would start the fire sprinkler system. <laughs> so he was too dark for the dark club, I guess. <laughs> In May 2008, he co-founded Copenhagen Suborbitals with Danish architect Christian Vorbengsten. But six years later, he left the project and kept holding a grudge for CS ever since. It's unclear what transpired with Copenhagen suborbitals, but Madsen hated them after leaving. He said in a documentary that they wouldn't even let him attend the launch of his own rockets, which seems weird since he was a co-founder and I feel there's definitely more to the story. <laughs> I think he was probably difficult to work with. I think he couldn't be part of a team and wanted full authority over everything. And this is where my red flags go up. The fact that as a co-founder, he couldn't fit the fact that the Dark Club people rejected him also after having him there for a while. It's a bit weird, but still not that unusual. Not too much, but uh, he seems like a sort of Northern European wannabe Elon Musk. Uh, but there's nothing to say that, you know, this guy's going to torture and rape and dismember a journalist or anything like that. Definitely not. So immediately after leaving Copenhagen suborbitals in June 2014, he founded Rocket Madsen Space Lab, RML. The RML HQ was this abandoned shipyard in the bay that I can't really pronounce well. <laughs> and this is where most of his story unfolds, minus the actual murder. As far as his personal life goes, Peter Madsen got married in November 2011. His wife had worked in the film industry and had also been supportive of his engineering endeavors. But in February 2018, she left him. I mean, there's a murder investigation going on, so there's that. And he's pretty obviously a person of interest, if not a suspect at that point. So we could assume that she probably did not want to be associated with him anymore. She's chosen to remain anonymous and her identity has not been released by the media. 
Madsen himself explained that he had lived in a, quote, open relationship. And, I mean, that's pretty much all we know, but that comes from him, so you could take that with a grain of salt, I suppose. We have no idea really what transpired there, but knowing what we know now, I think it's fair to say that that woman did good to leave him, and according to a report from Wired magazine, Madsen was a regular at fetish parties, which, you know, nothing wrong with fetish parties and fetishes, nothing wrong with BDSM either, but... What is wrong, according to two of his many girlfriends who testified in court at his trial, is that he had an obsession with women and death and snuff films involving women dying and women being strangled or asphyxiated. One of the women he dated said that Madsen wanted to make a snuff movie, you know, like a film which shows a real-life murder or suicide, and that it was something they had talked about making together but more like a fantasy. She wasn't obviously serious about it. So I guess this is where my dubimeter alarms go off, though. So we're on a roll lately with people making snuff films. That's two in a month. Yeah, we had the Crow Dads episode, right? Yes. Anyways, there may be people who fantasize about making snuff films, but fantasizing and talking about things as crazy as they may be is not illegal. And surprisingly, not that unusual. I mean, his girlfriend fantasized about it with him, but she never killed or hurt anybody. It's kind of disturbing that people get off on stuff like that, to me, but 99.9% of the people who are fascinated by such things don't kill anyone. So, you know, whatever floats your boat, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. I agree. But he also starred in two porn films, apparently. One filmed in Germany and one in Denmark. So... I guess these women thought that all this stuff was really just talk with him. According to The New Yorker, he also loaned two submarines to the producers of a film called Thunder Party, <laughs> a, f- a porn film from 2007 about a woman running amok with a libido-unleashing drug. I wonder which is better between Thunder P- and uh, Lord of the G-Strings. <laughs> that exist? Yes, it exists. And the hero is named Dildo Saggins. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, but look, that's the thing with this case. A lot of murders, when you look at the killer's past, there are like very clear, undeniable signs. They are psychopaths and they will hurt someone. But not necessarily in Madsen's case. And yes, I did put my dubimeter alarms at the snuff film slash uh, strangling fantasy part, uh, because in hindsight, but only in hindsight, that's when fantasy, I guess, started forming into a plan he aimed to implement in real life in his head, right? But let's be honest, there are millions of people with dark fantasies, but that's all they are, fantasies with Madsen. It turned into an obsession, but nobody could have known or predicted that he was going to actually kill someone. Also, nobody other than the girlfriends he was dating at the time knew about his sexual, you know, proclivities. And with one of these ladies, the most crazy thing he did in real life was to plan like a Sunday club where they'd invite their friends and everyone would be naked. So basically like a nudist weekend. Yeah, and I would say none of that is particularly out of the ordinary. Even the whole collaborating on a porn movie thing is, yeah, whatever. I mean, mean, it's the internet age. 
fantasizing about murdering someone, I think, is no. That's, now you're getting a, yeah. You're getting too dark with that. Yes, yes, I feel like those people. You know, obviously there are issues there, but as long as it's a fantasy and it's all talk and nothing, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and it's like, and specifically murdering people. That's the thing. So, you know, at this workshop, he had cats. Uh, he and the people there fed them, and you know, some seemed to be strays or wild cats, but. You know, there was a cat who got sick at one point, and apparently he was upset about the cat. So it's not the usual psychopath murderer who has, you know, a history of animal abuse as some sort of indicator that he's going to hurt a person or kill a person. Just fantasizing about horrific things. Yes, and I mean, to be honest, the girlfriends he discussed those fantasies with, they weren't that terrified or appalled because I think... There were no red flags even with them. And like, I feel like it was just talk to them. They never thought he would actually, you know, otherwise they would have probably did something. And by the way, he took many of his girlfriends on Nautilus. So he invited them on the submarine and they went out to sea and nothing happened. They even said that Madsen never crossed any lines with them and he was always respectful and so on. There was a clear separation between the crazy stuff they talk about and what they actually really did, you know. Like with most killers, there are previous violent outbursts. Like you find people in their past who would say they did cross a mutually agreed upon line. They went too far, something. Not in his case, though, no. Yeah, and look, a lot of inventors are kind of weird. I look at our boy Nikola Tesla. You know, they're just kind of eccentric. And the fact that he managed to get funding and donations and gather a team of people around him without paying them, I mean, that indicates that he was just the right amount of weird to make him interesting. So, Neil, what do we know about his childhood, though? I'm curious, because almost always there is some childhood trauma with murderers. Well, Madsen was born in 1971 to Annie and Carl Madsen. His mother, Annie, was more than 30 years younger than Carl and had three other boys from two previous men. His stepfather, Carl, was allegedly abusive with all three of his stepsons. Annie left when Peter was six and took all of her kids with her. But after a couple years, Madsen wanted to return to his father, who had a passion for explosives and rockets. Madsen said in an interview that once he came back to his father, Carl, he started waging a war against his mother using their child as a weapon. His father told him, you can always visit your mother, but if you do, don't come back. So Peter Madsen was about six years old at the time he was told this. Yeah, it sounds like a bad situation for a young boy. I mean, obviously, but it's not the horrible abuse I kind of thought might have happened to him. I mean, as far as we know, maybe he's not telling the whole story. And it definitely wasn't the kind of abuse or extreme controlling behavior from his mom, which would explain why Madsen would want to hurt and kill women as an adult. See, that's where I don't know, because the fact that at such a young age, his father kind of planted that seed that you should disregard your own mother, Yeah, you know, that women are less valuable. So if you're going to go hang out with your mother, then don't come back to me. I kind of think there might be more to that from yeah. putting that in the head of a young boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in any case, you know, kids come from broken homes with violent and abusive parents and do not grow up to be murderers. So 
Yeah. Know. So now we know who Peter Madsen is, who Kimwall was. We got to the point where they boarded the Nautilus, his submarine, and went out to sea. She sent those text messages to her boyfriend and then stopped answering his texts and didn't come back home. Yeah, her boyfriend started getting worried after a few hours. The same evening, he called the police, reported her missing, and told them he last heard from her via text message after she boarded the Nautilus, and authorities launched a search for the submarine, which, by the way, conveniently for Madsen, did not have a satellite tracking system. I think Cole, the boyfriend, is in a way a key player here and a very stand-up guy. I mean, think about it. He called the police just a few hours after she went aboard that damn submarine. He didn't wait thinking, oh, this might take longer than planned or maybe there is no cell signal. No, he picked up the phone and reported her missing, which I think played an important role overall because the search for her started like much faster, like immediately. Yeah. The very next day, on August the 11th, the 33-ton submarine was spotted afloat and someone on another boat notified the Swedish Coast Guard. But then, as the Coast Guard boats were about 30 feet away from the submarine, they saw Madsen going inside and coming back up after 30 seconds or so and jumping in the water, swimming towards them. Then the submarine sank. So he went in to open the valves to sink the Nautilus and erase the evidence because a 33-ton submarine filled with water is also very hard to get ashore for analysis. Right, that's the implication. So Peter Madsen was picked up unharmed by the Danish Coast Guard and he was arrested for negligent manslaughter as soon as they got to shore. Initially, he told police he had let Kim Wall off on Refshale Island near a restaurant a few hours into the trip. Obviously, all the CCTV from that shoreline area and the restaurant was analyzed. Nothing, no submarine, no Kim. Also, the investigators found dried blood inside the submarine and on Madsen's face and clothes. Um, it was later tested and proved to belong to Kim Wall. So at this point, they knew he's lying, but without the body, it was really hard to charge him with murder. But they did keep him in custody anyway. And then they discovered that the Nautilus was intentionally sunk, contradicting Madsen's claims that the submarine sunk because of a technical issue. On the 21st of August, a cyclist found Kim Wall's torso washed up on a beach in the southwest of Amager. A post-mortem examination found 15 stab wounds, mostly in the groin area. Metal objects had been tied to her torso in an attempt to ensure that it would not float. Also, her lungs had been stabbed for the same purpose, to ensure that the air in her lungs would be replaced with water so that the body would not float. And this is when the Coast Guard and police divers started searching for more body parts. And this was an arduous search. We're talking hundreds of miles of uh, seabed to scour, if not more. And it's very fascinating how they do these searches. They basically designate, let's say, like a big square portion of seabed and then divide that into smaller squares, like into jack stays. And then they have teams of divers swimming side by side on the bottom um, to cover every inch of the jack stay. And they, I mean, the best way to describe it is like imagine an Olympic swimming pool, right, with lanes. Kind of like that, but at an enormous scale. And you have three divers or more in each lane. And when they reach the end of the pool, they turn around in the next lane, you know, and that's how they cover each square. So imagine doing that in hundreds of miles of sea. Yeah, imagine that on a much larger scale, but you have to fight the tide. You have to fight currents. Uh, the weather conditions change and affect the search. 
So this is dangerous and really tedious. Really, the divers deserve more credit than anybody else in this investigation, I think. A hundred percent, yes. And the puppies. We'll get to the puppies in a second. But because the search area was enormous, um, the investigators had obtained the path of the Nautilus and it covered hundreds and hundreds of miles. Now, the divers kept searching in the dark despite diving in the spots where Nautilus had sailed through. But Kim Wall's father, Joachim Wall, who was also a diver and actually helped obtain the radar locations of the submarine's path, told the investigators to use cadaver dogs. And I was so surprised because I knew, everybody knows, that dogs have amazing noses, but I didn't know that they can detect human remains at sea. Yeah, so dogs have something about dead things. This chunky bear of mine will go find, you know, a dead rat in the sewer or like something that got ran over in the street and roll around on the dead, stinking uh, corpse of some rodent and just with the biggest stupid grin on her face the whole time. Like, look at me. I smell like the trash. Yes, I feel like all dogs are attracted to like, you know, decomposing. Yes, and it's like, so their smell is somewhere between 10,000 to 100,000 times more acute than ours is depending on the dog. So how is it that they think it's wonderful to smell like garbage? I feel like for them, garbage is like Dior or Chanel. <laughs> yes. You know, like you know, they like the stinky smells. So that's what they like. All pets like cats like the stinky stuff too. So I don't know, but pups are the best. And anyway, look, Denmark had no cadaver dogs that could detect human remains at sea. So they brought pups from Sweden at the behest of Kim's father. And the dogs eventually proved to be the key to this investigation. But the search teams hadn't realized that the dogs had been trained only in lakes, not in seawater. Yes, initially they thought the dogs are not up for the job, you know, because every time they dived where a pup signaled, they found nothing. But the people were wrong. The dogs were right. So... It's very complicated math. The pups don't actually smell the gases coming up from the body parts, but the decomposing fats, which are carried by the current differently than the gases are carried by the wind. And these fats eventually lift and reach the surface, sometimes even kilometers away from the location of the actual body. So the gases obviously would go straight up unless you happen to take the pup straight on top of the body part. You can't find it. And even then it depends on the wind. So based on the current, salinity of the water, I mean, there was river water flowing into it. And, you know, so they have like a briny kind of mix of salt and fresh water here and the wind. They determined that the search teams should look about two kilometers in a certain direction west from where the dogs gave the signal. And that proved to be the key. Yes, this process is explained much better than we did here in the investigation HBO series. But we just wanted to kind of like point out how amazing these pups are. Um, but back to our ship on September 5th, Madsen changed his story again and said he didn't drop her off on that island. This time he claimed that she died on the Nautilus as a result of an accident. He said that as they were getting in the submarine, the metal cover hatch hit Kim's head and she died on the spot. And then he changed his story again and said that she died of carbon monoxide poisoning. So. Anyway, he decided to bury her at sea. I mean, that's such BS. 
How did he think anyone would believe this? I mean, that's completely ridiculous. It takes something moving that slow hours to even get out of the harbor. So he didn't think this through very well, I don't think. Nobody would do this. You know, nobody chops up a body if a person dies on your boat and you had nothing to do with it. It's just insane. Exactly. But the narcissist in him, I mean, he thought he can still get away with this. Like, And to be honest, he might have gotten away with a lighter sentence because negligent manslaughter is not murder. And at this point, the police could not prove murder yet. They knew he killed her. They just could not prove it. Only the secretion of a body, from what I understand, and the negligent manslaughter charges. But on October 6th, assisted by the cadaver pups we told you about earlier, thank you, sweet puppies, police divers found two plastic bags in Kogebe Bay containing Wall's head, legs, clothes, and a knife. Her head presented no sign of trauma like one would get from a hatch cover, obviously. The head was instrumental to the case. They couldn't have convicted him of murder without the head. So the puppies, to be honest, and the divers are the heroes here. Yeah, and six days later, a saw was found in the water. And it was the same saw seen in footage of the Into the Deep documentary. So... Australian filmmaker Emma Sullivan, she was filming there on August the 9th, and you can see the saw in the film, but on August the 10th, it was gone. Anyway, the point is he premeditated this. Everything was planned except the victim. So we'll get into that part in a second. So Into the Deep, everybody, watch it. It's on Netflix. Very good documentary. And some of the things Madsen said in it are pretty chilling. So Yes, no, really only in hindsight, if you watch the footage and you wouldn't know he murdered somebody, nothing would... I mean, maybe it would be like, ah, he's kind of a weirdo, but like he's likable. That's the thing. He's charismatic. I would not be afraid of that person. And look, since you brought up Into the Deep, one of his colleagues from RML actually was likely supposed to be his victim. She testified at the trial. So her name is Sarah. I think she was actually sleeping with Madsen. I think they were dating, but they had a very normal sexual relationship. None of the murder fantasy talk, no snuff films talk. And their close relationship kind of explains why that text message didn't strike her as outrageous. I mean, normally bosses don't text stuff like that to their interns, not even as a joke. And on August 9, so the day before the murder, she texted Madsen, jokingly, and I quote from memory, you need to threaten me with something because I'm working very slowly today. I don't know what's happening. I'm kind of lazy. I'm I'm working slow. What she meant is like, obviously, as her boss and lover, even though he wasn't paying her, he could have said something like, hey, I'm taking you off this project if you slack around, right? Like that was the point. And he answered with something like, let's get out on the Natulus tomorrow. She's sailing so nicely. I'll tie you up, torture you and kill you. It's going to be very pleasurable. I mean... Obviously, she took it as a joke, you know, not as an actual, you know, murder plan. So she left it off and she said, yeah, okay, let's go out with the Natulus tomorrow. See, that's the thing, though. I can speak from experience. If he's talking to a girl that he's trying to convince to do something that he knows she does not want to do, I mean, that's what you do. You just throw out little jokes and little hints. And eventually, when she agrees to one of them, you're like, aha, it worked. So, I mean, <laughs> to them, they probably thought it was nothing. But to him, joking about a murder is flirtatious, I think. 
Yeah, and because he knew he's planning to do yes. that stuff. She had no idea, though. She thought he's just like, you know, messing around, whatever. Like, I'm going to tie you up and I'm going to kill you because you're not working too fast today. Like, you know, because she said threaten me with something. So, uh, yeah. Exactly. She had no idea. It was just by chance that it happened to be Kim Wall who ended up going with Madsen on the Nautilus the next day instead of Sarah. Uh, and Sarah is blaming herself to this day for not realizing that this was not all a joke. But who would have realized that he's not joking? Nobody. I mean, really, because, I mean, explained in that context, yeah, it's kind of like a darker joke, but it, it's it's not something that would be like, oh, this is a murder. It's just not. So basically, Madsen planned the murder, took his murdering tools to the submarine, every little detail. You know, he didn't really care whom he would kill as long as it was a woman. So basically, whichever woman was next to come aboard Nautilus, he would kill her. And he had googled beheaded agony girl. And by killing Kim, he tried to recreate a snuff film he watched several times. The video showed the beheading of a woman and he watched it even 18 hours before the murder. And I feel like he realized like, okay, look, my business is going to go down in flames. The launch is not going to go well. I'm going to lose all my sponsors, all the funding. I'm going to do my fantasy that I've been thinking about for a year. I'm going to do this now. And look, Sarah's testimony and this text messages really mattered in court because there were times when a conviction wasn't a sure thing. There was reasonable doubt about certain aspects of the murder. In dubio pro reo, when in doubt for the accused, like basically if there's doubt, you have to acquit. So the investigators used every little shred of evidence and testimony to nail him. The Into the Deep documentary is also interesting because you get to see the reactions of these people who were his team, like the loyal people. The first few hours after his rescue from the sea, they think Kim Wall was indeed taken to shore. But by the next day, they all realize his story makes no sense. Actually, they start pinpointing out inconsistencies, right? And their faces, I mean... To say they're in shock is an understatement. Anyway, the judge said that the footage in the documentary played an important role in Madsen's trial. Yeah, so police divers found Kim Wall's arms in the bay. And by this point, they had seized all of his devices and they found disturbing content of murders and torture and all sorts of similar things. Apparently, he had started collecting such videos around 2010, so a year before the murder. Madsen had the nerve to blame one of the young engineers who volunteered for him, a kid, saying he also had access to his office and could have put all this stuff on the computer. <sighs> it is unclear exactly what Kim Wall's cause of death was, uh, but she was covered in stab wounds, including her genitalia, and we know he was obsessed with uh, strangulation and decapitation, and judging by the videos on his computer... The investigators circled on, uh, you know, decapitation. I guess the medical examiner couldn't be 100% clear on what precisely killed her. I mean, she could have potentially died being strangled and then decapitated. The body parts had been in water for a while, except her torso, which was found 10 days after her murder. So it's, it's just very uh, horrible to think about it. But the consensus seems to be around decapitation. We do know for sure that the scumbag raped her, though, because semen was found on his underwear 
and clothing, which police took immediately after he was rescued and arrested. Yes, in January 2018, Madsen was charged with murder in decent handling of a corpse due to the dismemberment and sexual assault due to the stabbings in the genital region and the semen on his underwear, and the prosecution accused him of having bound, hit, cut, and stabbed Kim before killing her by cutting her throat or strangling her, or both. So Madsen's trial began on March 8, 2018, with him pleading not guilty to Kim Wall's murder. On uh, April 25th, he was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to life in prison. Shortly after his incarceration, Madsen was admitted to the hospital, uh, and this was in August of 2018, after being assaulted by an 18-year-old inmate in the Storstrom prison. Um, so it started out uh, as well for him in jail as one would hope. <laughs> yes, I mean, crime your river, scum of the earth, Madsen. <laughs> it turns out, at this time, he was also in a relationship with a female prison guard, and she left her job after that story came out. I do not get it. I really don't. What do some women see in such monsters? What is it that they need? What dark, empty hole in their souls are they trying to fill? I'm not being judgy, but I do not get the fascination. Like, I really just don't. So my ex-wife's uh, mother was one of these women that had a thing for prisoners. Just from meeting her and hearing her story about her mother growing up, I think it's a matter of... People who have traumatic childhoods or traumatic abuse of some sort in their past, they choose men that are physically distant because they're safe, because they're in jail, you know. And they also can't cheat on them or right. run they, away they with another woman. Right. They yeah. can't do anything to you because they're literally locked in a cage. So you can have, you know, whatever sort of long distance or fantasy relationship with this guy that you want and he can't do anything so he's not going to do anything wrong if he can't do anything at all i think that's got to be part of it yeah yeah i guess so yes that makes sense didn't see this coming but on october 20 2020 madson escaped from prison he was arrested again in a nearby residential area close to the prison and the police discovered that he was in possession of a pistol-like object, and he was also wearing a belt that could potentially contain explosives, so he was surrounded with bomb experts and everything, but they determined it was just a decoy. And in February 2021, a Copenhagen court handed down a 21-month prison sentence to Madsen for his attempted escape from jail, so the additional sentence will not be added to the life sentence, because, I mean, <laughs> what's the point? But it may play a role if a probation request was ever to be made. Can you imagine somebody like this even thinking that they could ever get parole or probation, like in the U.S., for example? No, exactly. I, I, I think it's crazy. I don't know the legal system in Sweden. I guess that legally there might be a way for him to try that. Yes, it could be. So the other case that comes to mind, in the early 2000s, you had these sort of uh, younger Swedish uh, heavy metal guys that were setting the ancient uh, wooden churches on fire. And one of them, oh, yes, 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 one of them actually killed a guy and he could only be in prison for 15 years. And now he lives in France and predictably he's gone all like right wing neo Nazi since he's gotten out because, of course, he did. But yes, the uh, the Nordic countries have very liberal detention systems and prison systems. 
that are much more concerned with rehabilitating people because, well, you know, they have a civilized society, unlike us, where, uh, you know, six-year-olds bring guns to school. Yeah, and look, for the most part, let's be honest, these countries like Sweden, Denmark, Norway, I mean, they have very little to no crime, really. So their rehabilitation, their prison system, it it works, you know. Obviously, from time to time, you're going to get somebody like Madsen, you know. But these are super rare cases. And look, in his case, we shouldn't worry because I don't think he'll ever see the light of the day, like as in like be out of prison ever again. What's interesting, I think, is the timing of the murder, because as we said in the beginning of the episode, he was planning the rocket launch, right? And the Nautilus was supposed to play a very important role in this launch, but we do see in the Into the Deep documentary that the launch pad they built was barely holding together. Like, I mean, there were screws like getting undone. The project was failing apart, literally, despite Madsen being on camera and saying everything is wonderful, everything is going perfectly. And I think a lot of his investors most likely would have walked away if the launch wasn't successful. And Madsen's narcissistic, egomaniacal personality did not allow him to potentially face this defeat, especially with a documentary crew there to film it all. I mean, he even says at that point that if you can't succeed, it's important to plan your fail in such a way as to go down in history or something along those lines. Well, after his arrest, a psychiatric evaluation of Madsen described him as a narcissistic psychopath, lacking in empathy, but not psychotic or delusional. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because it reminded me about something I saw in Emma Sullivan footage. About a month before the murder, Madsen was talking about his former project, the one he co-founded, and his resentment for that team. It, it, it was very clear that he hated everybody. And out of the blue, and really quite unrelated to what he had been saying seconds before, he tells Emma, uh, the documentary person, I quote from memory, you don't know, I might be a narcissistic psychopath. I might be a self-absorbed person looking to kill someone. I could be planning to murder you. You wouldn't know, right? Yeah, and see, that's the thing. She wouldn't know. Nobody would have known. Uh, We were talking about this the other day when Sandra and I were talking about doing this episode. There were all these websites, you know, Ogrish and LiveLeak, where you could just go watch some uh, ISIS guys beheading somebody. Or you could go watch... I remember that. You could just go watch stonings. You know, there were some videos on there that honestly nobody should see. And if you stumbled across any of them and did watch any of these videos, you're going to wish you did not. Unless you are a basically disturbed person like Madsen is. I mean, it would not ever cross my mind to actually download and watch more than once a video of a beheading because I accidentally watched one in the early 2000s. And it's that's exactly uh, it still is burned into my brain and I do not want to remember it. You can't unsee it. That's the thing. Same thing happened to me. I do remember it was like a live leaks thing. And like I saw it was exactly the same thing, a beheading. It was a guy. It was not a woman. But I I didn't know what I was watching. Right. And I was like, holy and like, yes. Yes. And it's like, but somebody like Madsen, who would actually go seek these things out and save them or watch them more than and once. And re-watch them, yes. There's something basically wrong with his brain, yes. No, I'm not judging. Everybody, you know, as you said, if it, you know, if that's what you like and nobody is hurt, you can fantasize and talk about whatever gets you off. I, you know, everybody's free to do whatever. But I feel that when you 
you know, like you said, when you are looking for these type of videos on purpose and you download them and save them and keep rewatching. I mean, I feel like, but then again, nobody did know that he's so obsessed. That's the thing. Yes, like nobody, the narcissistic yeah. part was the other key thing that got him as far as it did, I think. You know, he was likable. No, he was just enough of a weirdo to kind of like play into this whole persona of like, as you said, like a Nordic Elon Musk, which, you know, he. we should do an episode about Elon. He went off the rails completely. But like, Well, uh, wait till we get to the vampire episode about these weirdo billionaires. Uh, getting blood transfusions because they think it's going to give them eternal youth. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all crazy. And like, uh, I mean, there are so many crazy things happening. Honestly, we have episode ideas every other day, but we we don't have physically the time to do everything we want. It's just so crazy. But all in all, with these people like Madsen, they don't give you clear signals. All these weird comments that are caught on camera in the documentaries, in hindsight, Yes, you're like, oh my goodness, he even said that he's a psychopath. But look, no violent outbursts, no animal abuse, thank the universe, uh, no restraining orders, no domestic violence, none of that stuff. And sadly, Kim Wall happened to be his victim. So after her death, her parents created the Kim Wall Memorial Fund, which awards grants to young women journalists, which I think is a nice thing to do uh, to keep her memory alive as well. Yes, and this part broke my heart completely. Her phone was never found, right? He threw her phone in the water, probably. And Kim's dad never gave up. He is still looking for it at the bottom of the sea, even now after more than a decade. I mean, his diver friends are looking for it because he's now elderly, Kim's father, but he never gave up because he thinks she might have written something important in her notes there or a goodbye message because that's what she used to do. She used her phone like to write down for her articles, information and stuff. And that thought of her parents still searching for her phone. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, this is one of the most weird murders that I've ever heard of. Probably the only submarine murder in history, unless you count like the Soviets blowing up that one and not letting all those guys out of it. but uh, Yeah, 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 the curse, yeah. Yeah. Uh, discounting war situations like that one. So what's your dubimeter for this story? One to ten? Ah, 20, because it's just insane. Everything about it is crazy and also scary. You have a murderer, a submarine uh, made by the murderer. We have a young, beautiful journalist who was there to write the story, and she became the story. We have Madsen's not films obsessions, the violence of the murder, the dismemberment. Everything is just next level disturbing. And why I think it's also so disturbing is that literally this guy could be like, I don't know, your neighbor, the guy you talk to at the dog park. Just crazy. Dubimeter is 20. I hate to speculate on how many terrible people there are out there, but... No, you don't. You love it. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. (laughs) So let's speculate. (laughs) Anyways, I was going to say, no matter how much more effectively the internet is, you know, at least a little bit censored in terms of social media these days versus the early 2000s, which is like the Wild West, you know, the more people work from home and spend all their time at home and don't go outside and don't talk to the neighbors and don't go to the dog park like we do and don't make any friends, you know, there's going to be those people that get in these deep, dark internet holes and they're going to find something in the deepest, darkest corners of the internet That's gonna that appeal. appeals to them and they're going to save every single copy of it they can find. And it's just going to take... One thing, like Peter in this case, is going to take 
you know, their business going bankrupt or getting fired from their job or some other thing just to set them off. And that's it. I'm going to go act out my fetish, which I found, you know, on the dark net 20 months yeah. ago. And yeah, I think there's going to be more of them in the future. Yes, I agree. And the younger they are, the more impressionable they are. That's another thing. They're smarter than us. I'm not technical. If I had kids, they would probably know how to override my security measures. I would attribute it if I remembered who said it. But uh, there's a great quote during the pandemic that, you know, people are more connected than they've ever been. And at the same time, completely alone. Exactly. Yes. Well, you know, Black Mirror was such a great and prophetic TV show. And uh, so, yeah, Black Mirror got it right. One of our favorites, guys, Black Mirror. It's on Netflix. Watch it. You're going to thank Every us, single yes. episode more than once. It is fantastic in yes, every way. I watched it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got my ex-wife watching it. She loves it, too. Okay. So do you agree with 20 as a dubimeter number for this episode? Yeah. It's just there's some things that we'll never know about this case because we're not going to see what it was like inside the submarine before he got rid of the body. You know, we're not going to see all the stuff he managed to get rid of that they didn't find. And he's never going to admit what really set him off and made him decide to go through with this. You know, when we were doing the episode about Opus Day, it's kind of like that episode. I said at the end of it that, you know, you can track down all this stuff and you go through all of it. and You can piece a certain amount of it together and eventually you just run out of gas. There's certain things you're never going to know. Yes. Also, guys, we love reviews and please leave us a review and suggestions of what subjects you'd like us to cover and the stars. I love me five stars. Yes, please do. Sandra loves her stars. She's like <laughs> getting stars from the teacher every time a new review pops up. And the reviews. Yes, it makes me happy. And I do like them. It's motivating. You know, like I thrive on positive stuff. It's just who I am. And you love them too. Everyone does. It's human nature. Anyways, our website is DubiousPod.com. We are at DubiousPod on social media. Thanks for listening, everybody. We love you to be friends and see you guys next week. 